You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Welcome to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Mike, I see you on my computer screen now. We do these programs together remotely, and uh, you're looking good as always. Well, I was about to say, all I can say is, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you uh, you survived, what was it, uh, 20 banjos in a circle in your barn Twi- recently? I had, like what 28 was- banjos in the loft of my barn two or three days ago. We had a open back banjo night. Yeah, they weren't just on display. They were actually being no. plucked, right? No. Uh, Nash- Nashville Banjo Company sponsored this this time together. They brought Dan Levinson, who is a pretty well-known picker, down, and he taught a class uh, during the day. And then that night we had a jam session, and it was, Buddy Green was there, and Jeff Taylor were, were both there. We know they're good old friends. Yeah. Well, if animals come in herds and flocks, and uh, yeah, what's what, the collective what's noun banjo for banjo player? I don't, it's got to be. Yeah, it, I'll need yeah. to look that up. It's something. It's something like a mob or a raucous. It's a raucous, I think. I believe that's the term. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, we're gonna have fun today. We're gonna hear some of Michael's music on the program, as we always do. We're gonna talk about discipleship a lot here today. We'll uh, focus on the Disciple Study Bible in a few minutes. Uh, Ginny Owens will join us here in the program, mm-hmm. and then uh, Kevin Belmonte, one of my favorite authors, will be with us on yes. the program here today. But because many listeners are responding, I want to be faithful in thanking them by reading some of these emails that we receive. Glenn says, "Michael, I've been captivated by your songs and the messages behind them." I cannot listen to the basin and the towel without being reminded that I am called to be a servant and not to be served. That's all I want to be, as someone who wants to be a profitable servant to my Lord and Master. I just really wanted to thank you for the last 35 years of great music and great teaching. I'm looking forward to 35 more. May God richly bless you and yours. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah, I I want to join Glenn. I just want to be a profitable servant (laughs) as well. Just. Right. You know, the ba- and the basin of the towel—that's the metaphor, isn't it? If, if what mm-hmm. if what you're doing in ministry doesn't look like washing feet, then do something else. Yeah, well, I can't tell you how many times that song has really mm. brought tears to my eyes as well. So thanks for uh, writing and singing that song, Michael. Uh, we're going to hear another song, though. The things we leave behind. Ken Lewis will join you on percussion, and I think this leads right into our conversation today about discipleship. So let's get started with Michael's song. Recorded in the studio, live performance, The Things We Leave Behind. There sits Simon, so foolish and wise. Proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls, and the boats drift away. And all that he owns he forgets. Than the nets he abandoned that day He found that his pride was soon drifting away And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind And Matthew was mindful of taking the tax And pressing the people to pay But hearing the call He responded in faith And followed the light and the way And leaving the people so puzzled He found that the greed in his heart Was no longer around And it's hard to imagine The freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Every heart needs to be set free From possessions that hold it so tight Cause freedom's not found in the things that we own It's the power to do what is right With Jesus our only possession Then giving becomes our delight 
And we can't imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Show love for the world in our lives by worshiping goods we possess. But Jesus said, Lay all your treasures aside and love God above all the rest. Because when we say no to the things of the world, we open our hearts to the love of the Lord, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find. From the things that we leave behind Oh, and it's hard to imagine The freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Ken. You know, every time I hear you sing that song, Michael, I have to ask myself, what am I really leaving behind? You know, it really is convicting to when you stop and think about that. Let's talk about that with our guest coming up now. Our friend Ginny Owens joins us on the telephone. Ginny uh, has a new book out called Singing in the Dark. And Ginny, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you guys. Before we talk about things we leave behind, Ginny, uh, tell me about this book, Singing in the Dark. Well, Singing in the Dark is essentially all about how we find hope in a world that does not offer us lasting hope. And so mm. I really believe the way that we do that is um, to, for our hearts to sing uh, God's words, God's song to us in Scripture. And the more we sing that, the more that resonates through our hearts and minds and bodies uh, on a daily, hourly, minutely basis, the more it truly changes us into different people and the more it gives us hope no matter what we're facing. So in the book I use, Lots of my own personal story, but also 10 different what I call songs from Scripture to talk about, you know, how we find hope uh, in every type of circumstance. What is it that happens exactly when when Scripture is sung? I mean, it's one thing for it to be read publicly, and that's awesome, too, to read it out loud in church. But when you sing it, I mean, how do you describe what takes place? Well, you know, one of the things that I, I love is just the, the idea that in Scripture we're commanded to sing, you know, we're called to sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, it never says if you can carry a tune thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, which makes me think that maybe singing Scripture is about putting a melody to it, mm. or maybe it's just, you know, think about the power of songs in our lives. They we move to the music, we remember and ruminate on the lyrics, the, the melody kind of flows through our minds for hours after we've heard the song. So maybe it's not as much even about carrying a tune as it is, or taking, you know, putting scripture to a, a melody as it is about just scripture resonating that deeply in us. Uh, us ruminating on it, it's it's sort of words reverberating in our minds, you know, until until that is actually the song on repeat. Uh, in our brains. But that being said, I think that uh, singing scripture has a profound impact. You know, uh, what somebody said, I think it was maybe JT or CJ Mahoney that said um, that scripture or that songs are our portable theology. Mm. So, you know, if we're singing scripture, if we're carrying that with us, mm. you know, there's something really um, transformative, I think, that happens in our hearts and minds as we do that. Well, I love that there's a quote from Socrates. He said that when the soul hears music, it lets down its best guard. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So there's something, use that. there's something about a melody, especially if the melody, for, for me, one of my uh, things I'm really uh, picky about is that the, 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 the mood of the music match, matches the mood of whatever the, pa- the passage of Scripture is. And I, I, it just does something to you. It does... You, you, your guard is dropped or it, it goes in, <laughs> it enters your, your, your soul in a different sort of way, I think, when music carries it. It's hard to put words to that, isn't it? it you know, it really is. It really is. Um, our pastor last week in church said that music is the one shared cultural experience that we'll take with us into heaven. Mm. So 
you know, of course we'll mm-hmm. do things like eat and drink, but we'll all, but the thing that we will do that we kind of have continued to do through the ages is, is sing, is have music. Wow. And so, yeah, I think there's something that's so just profound about that that you can barely even speak what it is. Yeah. Beautiful thought, indeed. Uh, well, again, the book is Singing in the Dark, and we've chosen some passages in Luke to talk with Ginny about. We're all using the CSB Bible here, by the way, which isn't, uh, I mean, Ginny, this is your preferred Bible, right? It is. It's throughout the book. It's the, the one that we use for every scripture in the book. So. All right. I love it. Mike, where should we go? And, and Should we open up to yeah, Luke? Yeah, uh, let's, let's start, start in five. This is one of my favorite sections, Luke 5 and 6, uh, are all these you know, one of my favorite things about Jesus is, is how paradoxical and how he goes against the flow. And five and six has all these. I mean, he chooses a tax collector. You're not supposed to do that. And then he chooses sinners to follow him. You're not supposed to do that. He doesn't fast and pray the way he's supposed to. Um, he he violates so called violates the Sabbath. He violates the oral law on the Sabbath. Um, and he gives this impossible command. So I love this section in Luke where Jesus is doing all these things he's not supposed to do. I love that about him. <laughs> oh, I love that too. I also loved, as I read this passage, thinking about how in our culture, that, that isn't really how we think about Jesus, is it? We don't think about how different he was, how in a certain sense he was. He was, though the most humble, he was a rebel uh, among the Jews in that way because love, you know, challenged him, called him to 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 live and, and do things differently. But when I think about our world, we often think that Jesus is kind of a nice idea to fit into our lives, mm-hmm. right? Our already made lives, however we're living them. So when we meet Jesus, it's like, oh, we want to add this. Uh, we, we think he would be, you know, sort of fruitful and, you know, important. You know, maybe he will, of course, lead us to heaven and give us some comfort in our hard times. And what we see in these passages, and especially in, in Luke 5 here, it's just no way. When you meet this Jesus, when you meet this this guy that's going against the grain, it changes everything about you. And you have to give up. You have to give up things the old ways. You have to uh, become, you're transformed. So I, I love that. Just, just Jesus is not only saying, I'm not fitting into Jewish culture, but he's saying, I'm not going to fit into what you think I should be. I'm mm. going to turn your life upside down. Mm. And in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful yeah. man, Lord. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I love one of our friends uh, from this program, Avi Snyder, who's one of the leaders in Jews for Jesus. He calls Jesus a provocateur. I had to look that word up. Uh, but it means he's 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 constantly provoking people. I really like that. He's a provocateur. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Well, and you know, I love how in this passage he says um, it, it's very interesting that um, in after he has brought uh, the nets so full of fish that they can barely be hauled into the boats, and the boats are sinking, and Peter's response isn't, cool, Jesus, we're taking you on every fishing trip. His response is, go away from me. I am a sinful man. It's so interesting to me how Jesus' profound provision leads not to, let me put you in my pocket and take you everywhere, but leads to utter humility and like repentance. And I, I was thinking as I was reading that, how should that lead to that in my own life? How do I turn from being like, you know, Jesus is my... Uh, provider, which he is, but also Jesus is um, Jesus is the one that I turn to, that I turn from my sin to, and that I'm utterly humbled by. You know, yeah. that's what he provokes me to do. And so I, yeah, I, I really thought about how I want to be able to do that as mm-hmm. we, it, it, yeah. Mm. Let me jump ahead in chapter five to verse 27 and 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Yeah, and that's not an invitation. You know, let me go go back, talk to your wife, see if she thinks it's a good idea, come back to me. That's a command because <laughs> they, all, they all just get up, they drop whatever's in their hands, and they walk away. I mean, it's, it's that, I think it's that stark. I mean, what do you think, Jenny? Yes. Yeah, again, I was kind of thinking with this... Um, with this passage, being, a, a, being that Levi was a tax collector, 
he would have made probably a good deal of money, right? Mm -hmm. Or or likely would have had some nice money. And so when you think of that in our own time and the idea of sacrificing for Jesus, that the changing, uh, the turning to him means changing various aspects of our lives that we Mm. maybe, you know, aren't so comfortable with him getting into, such as what are we doing with our money, you know? Is is that on the table, <laughs> as it were? Do we say, I will follow you, Jesus, whatever that means that, you know, you tell me to relinquish if it's my money or, or whatever it is. So, uh, yes, I, I, I'm very moved by, you know, I think it's one thing when you are, um, you know, when it's not that person, when it isn't uh, as tangible as something like money is, and you go, wow, this is going to really hurt me. You know, it's one thing, Simon Peter and uh, the fishermen, they were like, wow, Jesus is bringing us uh, fish, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet that humbled them to leave. And, and in this case, Levi saying, I'm going to have to give up my money, but I'm going to do it because mm-hmm. that is what right. the impact Jesus has on me. Yeah, it's obvious that uh, Matthew, Levi, I mean, he he enjoyed the finer things of life. The very next verse says, then Levi hosted a grand banquet yeah. for him at his house. So he had yeah, well, he, he probably left more than the rest of them, all the rest of them put together. Hey, but Jenny, you know, you and I know each other. We've We've known each other for a long time. But I don't know your story. What what was the point that you dropped everything and 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 followed? What was that like for you? You know, I feel like that's happened a few times. <laughs> um, I actually was when I became a Christian. I was very young. I was four. So at that at that point, it was more of of Jesus, you know, walking with me, and especially as a, a young girl who could not see, that was Jesus walking with me through some really, you know, dark times mm-hmm. uh, of, of growing up in school and being bullied and various things that happened. But I think, um, you know, one of the things that I would say in the last few years, I have, I made a move from Nashville to New York City uh, and enrolled in seminary. And that was quite a huge surrender in a way. I, I felt the Lord really nudging me to, to take that on, mm-hmm. but I could not see, you know, how do you know, but, but what about my career? What about writing songs? What about being in the center and the thick of things in Nashville? And so I felt like I really had to lay that down. Hmm. Uh, so that's probably the most recent tangible ex- experience that I can think of. So it's not just one time dropping everything there, 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 it, it might be a matter of more than once in your life, letting things go. And I, that, that makes sense to me. Yes. I feel like that's always, I feel like it's a daily letting go. Yeah. It's a daily surrender and it's a daily, you know, I mean, probably the more we get to know Jesus, right? The more we kind of can see into the corners of our own hearts and see how we're not like him and what, what we want to relinquish to be more like him. Yeah. I don't know. What about you guys? What are things that for you guys have been, um, have caused you to, to uh, have been things that you wanted to uh, relinquish after knowing Jesus? Well, becoming a disciple is an ever-growing experience, isn't it? I mean, you, hope, hopefully you, you cannot stay the same uh, without uh, and spend any time with Jesus and not be changed by that. So absolutely, it's, you express it so well. Yeah, I, I think I think my big moment was letting go of what I'd planned to do with the rest of my life, which was I wanted to follow my, doc, my, my dad. I wanted to be a doctor. I thought that would be a cool thing to do, and and um, of course, it, God knows I I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have gotten through the chemistry and through medical school. So, in one way, it was a grace. But, but you're practically a doctor now, anyway. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, except for except for issuing prescriptions, I'm a I'm pretty much a, a medical doctor. Yeah. But, You're a spiritual doctor. But but so that works. But that was the big that for me was the big thing. I this identity mm-hmm. that I had, I was gonna be like my dad and and then uh and to then to become a musician. When you're from Nashville, mu- being a musician is not a cool thing. You know, um that's you that's sort of a uh, another word for loser in Nashville. <laughs> what do you do? What you know, your daughter's gonna marry. Who's who's is it she gonna marry? Oh, he's a musician. Oh my goodness, so that's sorry. a bad thing, see. <laughs> And so I had prestigious plans for my life, and uh, being a musician is not a prestigious. You know that from you were in Nashville long enough, Jenny. You know that uh, every, everybody's a musician. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, even as a person uh, with a visual impairment, that for for a long time I fought pursuing music because I knew that the general sort of view of that was, oh, of course, that's what you can do. 
So that's uh-huh. what you're going to do. And I was like, well, then no, I'm not doing it. Uh, so that, that took me a, a while to kind of give up my pride and say, there are plenty of things I could do, but this is where the Lord is, is leading me. So. Well, our time always goes so quickly with Ginny, but I just want to leave everyone listening with this verse from Luke 9, and I hope our listeners will take the time to pick up these chapters in Luke and, and read them again. 9.23, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What what powerful words those are from Jesus. Um, yeah, I think the point is, I mean, we've, we focused on what you let go, and that's important, but then there, there's there's something that you pick up. <laughs> And that that cross means, you know, of course, a whole world of things. But uh, well, the Bible conversation never ends here, yeah. does it, Mike? Yeah, but it, we yeah. need to say goodbye to Ginny and hear another one of your songs. So um, let's sign off with Ginny. Thanks, good friend. Thank you. Always lovely to hear you. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you again very soon. Thank you, Ginny. Let's take the things we've been talking about, and Michael sings about them now. Live this mystery. secret of the one who dwells in me that there is truly a presence in the heart that will believe to listen to a silent call the quiet hunger to give it all as the river seeks to be forgotten in the sea so my soul is so thirsty it longs for thee like a moth around the flame drawn to the light and to the pain since my life is hid in thee i must live this mystery Christ can live in you. I hear the silence, it's clamoring. There is only Christ, He is everything. In the language of the soul, it's burning like a coal. There's a voice that is saying, You can be whole. A life where of timeless moments waits for you with a heart alone you see that you must live this mystery mystery. Thanks, Mike. And again, it's always so good to open the scripture with Ginny and learn through conversation with her. So Kevin Belmonte will be with us in a few minutes here in yes. the program. Uh, how about a couple of questions from listeners? Are you up for this, Mike? Uh, I'll give her a try. <laughs> All right. This comes from Ramna, who is uh, leading a group at church, and they've been looking at your book, A Sacred Sorrow. At the end of chapter 21, the only answer is the dangerous, disturbing, comforting presence which is the true answer to all our questions and hopes. That's the quote from the book. The question is, what do you mean by dangerous, disturbing in that sentence? If you have some time yeah. to give some insight, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in general, the uh, Jesus doesn't give answers. He gives us himself. That's what I mean by presence. The answer is Jesus showing up. We want an answer for why am I suffering? Why did I get cancer? Why, you know, why, 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 why? And... Um, you see this in the Gospels, too. He doesn't answer people's, people's questions. 
He gives himself. He doesn't give us answers. He gives us himself because he is the answer. So that's the presence part. Mm -hmm. But that presence can be disturbing. That was one of Bill Lane's major themes, the disturbing presence of Jesus. Uh, Because sometimes that presence demands, well, not sometimes, every time, that presence demands everything from you. And that can be disturbing. The very fact that he doesn't give us ans- the answers we want, but we- he gives us himself, that can be disturbing because I want answers. Yeah, sure. I want to know why my child, why did my 18-year-old nephew die of cancer? And that's disturbing. It can be disturbing. And it's dangerous because of he calls us you know, to give up everything and follow him. And it's not always a safe thing. It's a, it's a very dangerous uh, place. Uh, he calls us to a dangerous place before the throne Someone I can't remember who said that, but that was that's a great mm-hmm. quote that's filed back in my mind someplace. Yeah. So I think that that's what I'm talking about when I say his his, his presence, that call to follow, uh, is is it can be dangerous and it can be disturbing, uh, and you see that in the lives of all the disciples. If you're not familiar with Michael's book, A Sacred Sorrow, of course you'll find it at the website michaelcard.com. Just quickly, Kathy, uh, reflecting on our conversation about the word "amen." You discussed it in the Old Testament, and you mentioned the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Are those two terms used interchangeably, she wants to know? Yeah, that, that's something that I got from uh, spending more time in Israel. Um, there, there's this theology that basically teaches that God is kind of done with Israel, and now it's just the church, and, and uh, it almost leaves you with the impression that, you know, the reaching out to Israel was sort of a failed experiment. Um and so some people ref- reflect back in that into old. There's the Old Testament, old kind of you know. Uh, but then there's the New Testament. See, then there's the New Covenant. There's the Old Covenant that kind of didn't work. But then um, you go to Israel and you discover, or you read the Bible and you discover, God isn't done with Israel. I mean, God has had a plan for Israel all along. One of the ways for me that that gets fleshed out is that I don't refer to the. Old Testament and the the New Testament anymore. I refer to the Hebrew Bible as the Old Testament. That's my term for the for the Old Testament because um, God still has Israel is still right at the center of what of God's plan, and um, uh, and and so basically we avoid using the term Old Testament so that we don't we don't reflect this idea that there's this Old Testament that's uh, you know kind of we're done with. And, but then there's the new, good New Testament. And because the, the, the truth is, you can't understand the New Testament until you read the Old Testament. You know, when, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if you don't read Exodus, you have no idea what he's talking about. We're glad for all the insights we've gained as we pause for the halfway break. If what you're hearing in today's session has prompted you to go deeper in God's Word, look online for more from Michael that can help. You'll find music, the latest book titled The Nazarene, and news about upcoming concerts and conferences at michaelcard.com. We're always glad to hear from listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Coming up, more music and conversation waiting for you after this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael with a word about the Christian Standard Bible. I'm glad we're partnering with the CSB. I got to see firsthand the way godly scholars work together on this Bible translation. Now, I get to use the CSB in my study and teaching. There's so many types of editions available. I hope you'll find one that will help you get serious about reading God's Word. And this month, we're featuring the Disciples Study Bible. Search for The Disciples Study Bible at csbible.com and read more about this unique study tool. Find a reading plan, study notes, and spaces to record your growth as you learn to follow Jesus in deeper ways. When you purchase this powerful discipleship tool, type in the studio without spaces in the promotion code to receive your 30% discount from LifeWay. We are called to be disciples, and this CSB edition will light the way of your discipleship journey. Search for The Disciples Study Bible now at csbible.com.
That was recorded in the studio with Mike and Shanoa Murphy. Now Murphy, but uh, Shanoa Alamu, as we used to know her by. But uh, what wonderful song, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Kevin Belmonte is with us. Uh, Kevin is one of my favorite authors. I love to read his uh, books, and primarily the biographies he's written of Wilberforce and Moody and now William Borden. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Mike, uh, next month, Kevin's newest book, uh, Beacon Light, a, The Life of William Borden, will be published, and we're very excited about this. Yeah, and I, we had talked about this uh, when he first started uh, working on the book, and uh, that was a name I didn't even know, and it's a name that we all need to know, and it's a story we all need to uh, yeah. know about. Kevin, remind me the family connection between Oz Guinness and uh, the Bordens. Right. Uh, Well, perhaps many of your listeners, or at least a few, I should think, would know uh, the name or the phrase, Borden of Yale. That's actually the title of the classic biography that was published in 1926 by Geraldine Guinness Taylor, who is the great-aunt of our friend Oz Guinness. Hmm. And uh, Oz and I have been talking quite a little bit about that as the book process has unfolded, both the writing and the research. And uh, it was such a neat thing to have his blessing, as it were, and to hear some stories about his great-aunt, uh, he knew her when he was very young. So, uh, neat connection there. Mm. Well, Kevin and I became friends when he, uh, uh, talking about Maltby Babcock. Yeah. And, uh, he, he really helped, he really helped me understand, uh, uh, Babcock's life. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it was great to get that homework assignment way back when. You told me the next book I had to write was one about uh, Malpe Babcock. So uh, I had my marching <laughs> orders and I got with the program. <laughs> the author of This Is My Father's World. Yes. Hey, uh, th- we're going to talk about, about uh, history and COVID and all that in a moment, Kevin, but uh, talking about Babcock and Borden and Moody, and you love to do the research, don't you? I do. Uh, initially, you get a clue or perhaps a recommendation from a friend. Uh, my wife and my son are very fond of doing puzzles. Me, not so much, but I do like the detective aspect of sort of diving into the sources. Some things you, you have a suspicion you'll find there, but there are oftentimes there are many other things that, that you find along the way that just mm. fill out the contours of a story, uh, the, the moments of a person's life that you don't expect to find. And those are wonderful moments, really golden moments, where you just discover a, a rich trove of things, some of it perhaps never published before, and you get to bring it before readers. So, yeah, 
that's, that's a part of the process that I really do enjoy. I think it's important that these remarkable people are, are not forgotten. And, and, and in many cases, I know with Babcock it was true, and certainly Borden was a person that I, I mean, I, I must say I, hadn't, I didn't know who Borden was. But what were what incredible people, and, and we can learn so much from their lives. Oh, I think so. You know, we get to spend company when we read biographies. We spend company with men and women who have come before us. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing is something that uh, we're particularly blessed with here in this country. We have so many biographies that we can take up and read uh, and just spend time with these people, see a lot of the hard-won lessons uh, the life lessons that uh, they won and they can pass on to us. I mean, they may have been gone a long time and we may not be able to hear their voice, as it were, but through these biographies, they're still able to speak to us. And uh, I remember feeling that way when I was younger and when I was thinking about becoming a biographer and that kind of thing's been reinforced time and again as I've gone along in that journey. Mm. Mike, I have this mental picture of Kevin in some old world-looking library opening up this dusty book and finding some gem and yelling, Eureka, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have this I have this image of Kevin, Kevin coughing and sneezing because of the mold from all those old books that he's been breathing <laughs> okay, in for years right, and years and right. years. <laughs> hey, let, let's uh, change gears and uh, talk about lessons from history as we emerge from COVID. I know that you had a brush with COVID in your own house, Kevin. Yeah, we did. Uh, Our teenage son, Sam, uh, just before Christmas, uh, really before the end of his school term last fall, uh, they've been able to attend classes pretty much all the way through this year, which is a mercy. But uh, they did have an outcrop here and there, and thankfully, in Sam's case, he was 14 at the time. He just turned 15. Uh, It was very mild. It ended up being pretty much uh, symptoms not worse than a a cold, a couple, three days. Uh, the, the trick about it all, though, was that Kelly and I had to quarantine here with Sam in the house for about a month and a half oh before the uh, the doctors gave us the uh, okay sign to go out and do more than stay shopping for necessaries. And even in that case, we had neighbors that did shopping for us. So the Lord was merciful in that respect, but it did come here to our house here in Maine. So let's talk about COVID and history. Uh, what what have you been thinking about? Well, lots of things, really. Um you know, as I think about uh, lessons and takeaways, things that have become more meaningful to me, uh, I think history comes into play here as well. Uh, I don't know that I have any special wisdom, uh, but I hope I know where to look for it in the lives of Christian men and women who've gone before. Uh, the wisdom, uh, many of the moments where they went through difficult times, and many times they wrote these things down, and we can find them, we can read about them, and that sense of being part of a cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before, uh, that has become meaningful to me. And uh, I guess I could call them small graces. Uh, it's really not an adequate phrase, but by that I mean graces that unfold closer here to home because, you know, we weren't able to travel, as we so often would be able to do. We had to find things to do in and around the house. But uh, I remember... Uh, my writing about uh, Bunyan, and of course uh, we know John Bunyan as the author of the great work Pilgrim's Progress, but uh, I remembered reading another book that he'd written, a lesser-known work called Seasonable Counsel, and there was a line there that really caught my eye, and I'll share it with you if I may. It says, The Lord bless all seasons to his people, and help them rightly to acquit themselves under all the times that go over them. And uh, that line really caught me. I-, I thought, you know, if anyone knows what it is to go through a difficult season, a trying time, it's John Bunyan. Mm. And I think that kind of uh, motif, that kind of theme runs all through the Pilgrim's Progress. And-, and the takeaway for me when I thought about Bunyan's words and how much they meant to me on reflection is that when we look at the pages of history and how the Lord's worked in the lives of men and women from the past, We see, as I've said, they knew difficult seasons, uh, just as we have in the past year. And so many times uh, they spoke about how the Lord met them on the way as they walked through their trying Mm. time. And for me, uh, I think that we're all like Bunyan's pilgrim in a way. Uh, And I remember as I think about that story and how much it's meant to me in different readings over the years, the takeaway I've always had when I've read Pilgrim's Progress is that we're not alone. And the Lord is there when we need Him most. And uh, to use one of the old phrases that you might find in the book, He will our shepherd be every step of the way. Hmm. 
But don't you think that the, that one of our fundamental problems is that we we have such a short historical memory? I was looking online at photographs yesterday, and there was a picture from the big epidemic in the early 1900s, and I think that's the right date. And it was a a, a baseball game, and a, a, the stands were filled with people who all had masks on. And, you know, we tend to right. think, oh, this COVID thing, oh, we're the first people, this is, there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. No, it, it's, uh, what, a little more than 100 years, I think, since, what was it, uh, 1918, I think, when that epidemic unfolded. And, uh, yeah, same uh, kind of thing that they were contending with then that we are now. And, uh, yeah, no, that, I do appreciate that. And uh, I think, too, uh, I was sort of going through those Three by five cards that I have there in my mind with uh, different people I've written books about and some of the things, the nuggets that they've imparted along the way. I, I found another one from William Wilberforce, and uh, he was a great reader. I, I think that's something that, uh, as I was asked to think about the theme of, of this program, being a reader, I think, can be a source of great comfort and strength and, and solace for us. And Wilberforce, uh, he was a great reader of history. And he wrote about that once. He said that history is eminently useful. We have the opportunity, at least, though an opportunity too seldom turned to good account, of cheaply acquiring lessons of wisdom, which by others mm. have been dearly bought. Mm. Yeah. And, and so um, how do we access those valuable uh, memory. What, 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 we, what can we learn from those folks that were sitting in the stands in 1918 that's going to help us today? Mm. Well, I suppose some of their letters are there, you know, but I think the pictures tell a story in and of themselves. Uh, many times uh, you'll, uh, you'll read the caption for a picture or perhaps there's an article that accompanies a picture like the ones we've been referring to there from 1918, and I think the ways that they found to trust in the Lord, to cope, to find uh, things that they could do during a time of quarantine, I think those are some of the things that we can learn. Uh, you know, I, I'm often grateful for the work that other people have done. You know, it, w- with the advent of the Internet and that kind of thing, many times uh, you can find an article, say, in the Smithsonian or other places where you know the research is top shelf and been done well, you, you read it, and uh, you have a sense that uh, your fellow travelers with those who have gone before it. And I think that sense of common purpose and coming through a time of testing can be useful and helpful to us. Hmm. Let me interrupt to say that I am sitting here um, dumbfounded that Michael Card referred to baseball. <laughs> uh, when you talked about the, the game in 1918. Kevin, I didn't think I'd ever hear Michael talk about baseball, but he mentioned the word. I caught it, and I noted it in it, the uh, in the log here. It was a painful necessity. Painful necessity, <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> now, I kind of sense a nefarious plot to somehow introduce baseball, one of our favorite subjects here. Yes. No, no, I've given up on that. We're not yeah. even going to try anymore, Kevin. Kevin is a big Red Sox fan, and uh, I happen to follow a team in Chicago. So we talk baseball a lot, but uh, Mike, uh-huh. you, you'll you'll get there eventually. So, uh-huh. but yeah. back to our back to our theme. <laughs> Thanks for letting me take that little side road there. See what baseball just did to us? It dragged us <laughs> off the topic. <laughs> this important topic. Okay. All right, we've got a few more minutes with Kevin, and I want to make the most of it here. You've got such uh, great quotations from these wonderful people in the past. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Wilberforce. Who are some of the others you've collected? Well, if I uh, wanted to make sure that uh, I gave place to some of the ladies that I've had a chance to uh, research their lives and learn from them, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention straight away Corey Ten Boom. Oh, yes. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I remember Tramp for the Lord was published. And my mom did a great thing uh, when that book was published. She sat us down uh, probably once a week, and she read a chapter to us from that book. And I just remember all those stories, her time in concentration camp, but other times in her life uh, when she faced challenges and just had to lean on the Lord with everything that she had, that faith, that trust, uh, seeing how the Lord met her uh, at her point of deepest need, that, that made a deep impression on me. I was very young in the Lord. I'd only just come to faith. 
I was probably about 12 years old. But that was formational for me. Mm. But then I think also of Wilberforce's great friend, Hannah Moore. And uh, she was an incredible writer. And uh, as I've had a chance to look through her writings and see the beautiful mind that the Lord gave her and read some of her insights into the spiritual life, her thoughts on prayer and just how essential prayer is uh, as a mainstay of our spiritual life, uh, those have had a great impact on me. So no, I, I've learned uh, in their school, as it were, I've sat at their feet, and uh, those are a couple of the ones that come to mind right away. Beautiful. I love it. Kevin, we're going to ask Michael to sing a song here in just a few moments, Bearers of the Light. I, I want to just return in the last minute we have to Borden, because your book is titled Beacon Light, The Life of William Borden. Where does the beacon light come into the picture? There was a quote uh, right after Borden's passing in 1913. Uh, a friend paid tribute to his memory and just the way that his life uh, was such an influence for good in modeling faith. Uh, and the, uh, the quote, I believe, was something along the lines of, he was uh, a fixed beacon light, that is the image of a lighthouse, uh, upon a sea of troubled waters. Mm. And I think if you think about Borden's life, of course, he died young, uh, contracting meningitis when he was studying Arabic to be a missionary in China among the Muslim peoples there. Mm. But that idea that the character of his faith uh, was a beacon for others, I think that was a wonderful metaphor for what I hope people will come away in reading the book. So thanks for mm. asking about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I've, I've read that book. It's it's a remarkable piece of work. Um, so th- thanks for... Thanks for doing that uh, homework. One of my mottos is you you should always look for people that are willing to do your homework for you. And when I say that, I always think of you, Kevin. You do all of our homework for us. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Mike. You're too kind. (laughs) Yeah. Great fun to have Kevin Belmonte with us again. Thanks, Kevin. Here's Michael, recorded in the studio, Bears of the Light. The light we must bear is the light we must share Is the light that illumines the darkness The promises kept give us strength to accept This burden of bearing the light He will walk beside us, a strong friend Barnabas He will be that sure shoulder to lean on promise we share is our burden to bear and our light tells the darkness to be gone the light we must bear is the light we must share is the light that illumines the darkness the promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light He will come after me, this young Timothy Looking for someone to guide him I will kindle his light, make him strong for the fight I will promise to be there beside him The light we must bear is the light we must share Is the light that illumines the darkness is kept, give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. And so we must claim in his powerful name the promise the Bible has spoken. We must understand that a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken. Great need of us all, a true mentor, a Paul, who has traveled the road that's before us. He has made good the pledge to take the light on ahead. We can follow his footsteps before us. The light we must bear is the light we must share, is the light that illumines the darkness. Promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light.
So glad we get to include your music on the podcast here, Mike. Thanks for that. And thanks to Ginny Owens and Kevin Belmonte. What an interesting program today. Yeah, and, and it's something that we have access to those those kind of folks that they're gracious enough to spend uh, spend time with us. So, yeah, that never ceases to amaze me. Mm-hmm. Final word on discipleship. That's kind of been a theme for our program this time. Yeah, and it's something how, um, in, in spite of ourselves, things come together that way. I mean, Joe Carlson, who puts the show together, is really good at theming everything, but sometimes even beyond his prep for the program, we all tend to be focusing on the same truths, mm-hmm. and and I think you're right, Wayne. This this show was uh, was about discipleship in one sense, but in a broader sense, it was about what does it mean to let go of everything and follow Jesus. Even in terms of Kevin Belmonte, what does it look like in the lives of a of a Borden or yes. uh, um, a Corey Ten Boom or these other people? So let me ask Mike, what do you think the takeaway from our spending this time together is? Well, I, I, I think the takeaway is that there, there are people who have gone before us, and it, it can be done. <laughs> you can be someone like a Borden and let, or a Peter mm-hmm. <laughs> and, or a Matthew and let go of uh, your stuff and, and follow Jesus. It, it has been done, and it can be done, and that's what he's looking for from us. Well, thank you, Michael. Good insight as we wrap up this hour. It's our prayer that the scripture, discussions, and music were used by God to enrich your walk with Christ. You can send your comments, song requests, or questions to us when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. Also, learn about Michael's books, his music, live events, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can aid you in your personal growth as you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the Disciple Study Bible. This Bible edition will not only be a helpful guide to unlock the meaning of the Scriptures, but it will provide tools to direct your growth as a disciple. Find a daily reading plan, maps, study notes focused on discipleship issues, and spaces to record your growth as you learn to follow Jesus. Search for the Disciples Study Bible when you order and use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for joining us for this session in the studio with Michael Card.